Hello, everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Svela. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful, crazy world of ours, you are part of this story circle. Happy Halloween, Sawween, Day of the Dead. Whatever your paradigm and whichever holiday you mark on your calendar, this is a potent time of year. The days are getting short and winter is approaching. This is obvious even here in the Mojave. Halloween was originally Sawween, the Celtic New Year's Eve. And these people saw this as New Year's because their notion of the year, the annual cycle, ended with the death of summer and the final harvest. Sawween is a very thin time of year when inhabitants of the visible and the invisible realms can easily pass through the veil that separates the two worlds. This is a time when communication with the other side is especially fruitful, and we're invited to court the unknown and to acknowledge and pay tribute to our ancestors, those who have gone before and who continue to inform through our very DNA, our existence. This notion of a spirit world behind the visible is sensationalized and trivialized in contemporary popular imagination. But the crux of the Celtic idea is simply that spirit, psyche, the divine, however you want to describe it, that this, this is not far away in some transcendent, distant dimension, but is eminent in our material world in the DNA, carrying the essence of every thing. The ability to apprehend this is the gift of a sensitive heart and poetic imagination, which is a little bit of foreshadowing for the story that I'm going to tell you today. Winter nights are also the traditional time for storytelling in oral cultures around the world, past and present. Winter time is understood to be a time of rest and also of rebuilding. And one of the things that is rebuilt is the sense of continuity and support in the community and as well as a sense of identity. So people gather together to marvel and laugh at the old stories, ponder their wisdom, take in the lessons, and reaffirm their place in the web of life that these stories describe. The story that I want to tell you today is taken from Celtic mythology. It's about one of my favorite witches, Caridwen. This story, The Cauldron of Inspiration and the Birth of Taliesin, is part of the Welsh cycle, the Welsh cycle called the Mabinogian which is a collection of 11 medieval tales and the book of Taliesin. The texts date from roughly 14th to 16th century, but the original language suggests that these tales may have been told as early as the 6th century. Now, I invite you to relax and sit back and listen to the story. 
Let it flow through you and over you and notice the images and the moments in the story that particularly speak to you. These are information for you about where these themes may be operating in your life right now. Caridwen and the Cauldron of Inspiration Long ago, when the world was a bit younger than it is today, there was no veil separating the realms of the seen from the unseen. What we call elves and fairies and spirits moved freely among human beings. But that time is past. We humans needed to grasp at what is real. We needed to feel the material in our hands. And so the curtain was hung. But it is still just a curtain, simply a veil. And there are times and places when the fabric is very thin. In these early days of the two worlds, there was a woman named Caridwen who moved between these two realms. Some say that she was a moon goddess or the great mother of the grains. Others call her a sorceress. Some use the word witch. But I'm not going to pretend to know such things. It is said that she was quite beautiful, with flowing dark hair and skin like milk, and she surely possessed great magic, as this story will reveal. Caridwen lived with her husband and three children on an island in Bala Lake, in the hard, hard rock country of North Gwynedd. Her oldest son, Avdu, was well-blessed. Her only daughter, Kriri, was the fairest maiden for miles around, with a voice like silver bells. But her middle child, the boy called Morvrain, was ugly and ill-formed, and this caused his mother great concern. It's hard to get along in the world without some measure of beauty and grace. So Caridwen decided to concoct a potion that would instill wisdom in her son, Morvrain, and a poetic tongue. If he had these gifts, then he would prosper as well. And she thought, well, his face cannot be beautiful, but his voice and his words and his, and his thoughts, these will be. Caridwen built a fire, and she took out her great cauldron, the cauldron called Aven, and filled it with water and honey, acorns, barley, and other grains. Her magic would take one year and a day to complete, and the fire under the pot had to be kept burning at a constant rate this entire time. And the pot had to be stirred during this whole time so that the potion wouldn't burn and stick to the pot. Caridwen called her ancient manservant, Morda, and said to him, You, sir, must tend the fire day and night and make sure that it doesn't go out. Now, Morda was half blind, and he really couldn't manage any more than the fire part of this task. So she also called a young servant boy named Guion and gave him the important task of stirring the pot. This is your job for one year and a day, she told the lad. See that you perform it faithfully or suffer serious consequences. 
This potion that Caridwen had in mind was very powerful and tricky to bring to completion. Every day she went out into the woods and the fields to find the herbs and the seeds and the other ingredients necessary to make her son wise. These she chopped and ground and handled very carefully, and she added them to her great cauldron when the astrological signs were right, often under the light of the full moon, or perhaps in the deep darkness of the new moon. Caridwen said the right prayers. She sang the right songs. She brought all of her powers to the task, even in her silence. Now, a great pot sat simmering on the fire, but all that could be consumed were the first three drops. Whoever partook of the first three drops would instantly know past, present, and future and perceive the underlying unity of all things. This person would be the wisest person and also the most poetic, the most imaginatively creative. But the rest, the rest of the potion was poison. Slowly, slowly, day by day and night by night, the vital strength of Caridwen's potion took shape and grew. And throughout this time, Morda faithfully tended the fire and Guion stirred the pot. At last, the year and a day was up. The last herb had been duly added. The pot had simmered, the contents had been stirred, and with great anticipation, Caridwen brought her son Morvrain into the room to receive her blessing and the three potent drops of the potion. Gwaine stood by the pot with this long spoon in his hand. Come, she said to her young servant, bring forth what I have created for my son. But when Gwaine moved to serve Morvrain, the fire suddenly leapt up and the great pot sputtered and several drops flew out and landed on Gawain's tender fingers. Without a thought, he thrust his burning fingers into his mouth, and instantly he knew all that was true, and he knew that he had stolen Morvrain's birthright, and he knew that Caridwen would kill him. Young Gawain ran for the door. Caridwen left her son and followed after him. Come back here, she cried. There is no escape for what comes next. But Guion understood the full extent of his new powers, and he turned himself into a hare. In rabbit form, he raced across the fields 50 50 times faster than any mere boy could run. But Caridwen turned herself into a greyhound, and followed swiftly after him, snapping at his heels. When he reached the river, Guion jumped in and turned himself into a fish. Down, 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 into the cold depths he dove, his silver fins flashed. But Caridwen turned herself into an otter, sleek and greedy, and dove in after him. When he felt her whiskers brush his tail, 
Guion burst from the water into the sunlight, turned himself into a bird, and flew away. But Caridwen turned herself into a hawk and followed close behind him. In the final moments, right before she could plunge down to grip him in her sharp talons, Guion looked down and spied a farmyard and a barn below. He stopped flapping, and as he fell to the earth, he changed himself into a grain of wheat on the threshing floor. Caridwen followed him down to the farmyard. Oh, you are very clever, my dear Guion, she said, but not clever enough. Caridwen turned herself into a black hen and began scratching the ground and sorting the many seeds until she found that little grain of wheat called Guion and ate him. Caridwen was very frustrated at her wasted efforts. And she went home to the island in the middle of Lake Bala. Days passed, and to her horror, she discovered that she was pregnant, and she knew that it was that little grain of wheat. She decided that she would kill the baby as soon as it was born. But when the baby boy arrived, he was so beautiful that she could not bring herself to raise her hand against him. Two days before May Day, she sewed the baby into a leather bag and threw him into the sea. The baby drifted into Cardigan Bay and was found by Prince Elfin, who had come there to net fish. Because the boy was so beautiful, Prince Elfin named him Taliesin, which means shining brow, and he took the child home and brought him up as his own. All was well for a number of years, until royal enemies imprisoned Prince Elfin. The child, Taliesin, went to the court to demand the release of his guardian. Everyone laughed although many were impressed by this kid's boldness. My lord, the boy said to the king, if this be your court and you are a true king, make me a wager for the life of my guardian. I'll pose a riddle to you and your court. If anyone can answer it, I will go quietly home. But if I confound you all, then you will let Elfin go free. Well, I see no harm in that, answered the king. He was quite certain that no child could perplex him and all of the wise men in his court. Proceed then with your riddle. Discover what it is, said the boy, the strong creature that can wreak havoc from before the flood, without flesh, without bone, without vein, without blood, without head, without feet, in field and in forest roams, without hand, without foot. It is also as wide as the surface of the earth, and it was not born, nor was it seen. The great men of the court pondered, 
and even the poets, the bards of the court, were called to lend their special wisdom. But none of them knew the answer. So the prince was freed, and thus began the fame of Taliesin, the greatest bard to ever live. It is said that he even sang for King Arthur. And the answer to his riddle? The wind. The uncanny witch, the witch, is an instigator. She gets things going in ways that we can't predict or control. And in the form of Caridwen, she seeds the imagination by opening a creative doorway that Guion, who literally becomes a seed and then seeds her, steps through. I love that Caridwen lives on an island in the middle of a large lake. Lake Bala's four miles long and one mile wide and sacred in the Welsh tradition. As a reflective body, a lake suggests the play between the surface and the depths, and it often symbolizes a portal into the unconscious. Both of these ideas, what happens on the surface and what happens in the depths, are really important for this time of year. Important for what's happening with the earth. Important for what is happening in our psyche. The ancient Celts called this period between Halloween, or Samhain, and the winter solstice on December 21st, the season of sleep. It was understood to be a time of rest and renewal, of incubation and hibernation, a time to go into the depths, to visit the dark realms, and wander the dream time. Now, sleep is not something that we value as much as we should in our crazy, modern, overly productive, quote-unquote, Western culture. We stay busy, 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 busy with so many things that don't need to be done in this endless rush of productivity when everything around us in the world, including this annual shift from lightness to darkness to lightness to darkness again, tells us that after a time of sprouting and activity and planting and harvest, there is rest and rejuvenation. You know, sleep researchers are finding more and more ways that the body performs its most important functions when it's asleep, rebuilding all of the cells, but also, and they don't know how this works yet, sleep is connected to memory formation and therefore to our sense of identity and self. So I hope that you will respect the impulse of your body at this time of year to go to sleep. I know I'm already going to bed much earlier. So Samhain marks a descent into the deep dark, and this offers the promise of rebirth at the winter solstice. Everything that dies then at this time can be transformed. Everything that dies, everything that we let go of, can become 
the material out of which the new is created or make space for what we would like to have come in. So this is a good time to say goodbye to something that must be left behind and to plant seeds of the new. You can eat an apple, the fruit of immortality, and bring yourself closer to the spirits that surround us. You can perform any number of rituals to plant seeds. Plant seeds in the earth, plant seeds in the earth of your own psyche. Now is a very good time to do this because we have the full moon. The full moon on Friday the 4th here in California, and it's the full moon in Taurus. This is a really powerful moon because it is a celebration of all of the earth energies. And as you might expect, the combination of this full moon in Taurus, sun in Scorpio, means that this is the time of the dark goddesses, of the goddesses that go back and forth between these realms and especially are associated with the depths, with what's below. So you might think of Kali or Hecate or Sekhmet. I mentioned that Egyptian goddess in a story recently. I have often told the story of Inanna, the Sumerian goddess who descends to visit her sister Ereshkigal at this time. If you know that story, you remember that when Inanna makes her descent, she is asked to leave behind all of her above-the-earth powers, all of her uh, jewelry and even her clothing, everything that signifies the powers of above ground. She has to make this sacrifice. She has to let go of these powers in order to acquire something new in order to acquire a new power from the depths, a new dimension to her being. And this is a time for us to make similar kinds of sacrifices and journeys in order to also acquire more depth, more soul. It's really beautiful, don't you think, how this story and this time of year weaves together all of these themes of surface and depth, Harvest and planting, rejuvenation, rebuilding, soul, letting go, transformation. And I want to go back for just a moment to the seeds, to this notion of seeds, planting seeds, using seeds. Caridwen put seeds in her potion. Seeds show up in many of the old stories, and they're often connected to a task, a task of sorting seeds. You might recall that in the story I told in the last podcast of the Baba Yaga, she has Vasilisa sort corn, sort the mildewed corn from the good corn. And at another point, she has Vasilisa sort the poppy seeds from the dirt. In in many stories, this sorting of seeds is an important task. And The sorting represents the need for us to discriminate between possibilities. A seed is a possibility. It's something that under the right conditions will sprout, will realize itself, its potential. But we can't plant them all. (laughs) 
and some of them aren't worth planting. Some of them, if we go to the effort of planting them, will never grow. So one of the things that we need to be able to do is discriminate between our options. In the story that I just told you, Caridwen devotes a year and a day to the creation of this potion. And although the potion doesn't end up with her son, Morvrain, and the significance of that is a whole other conversation we could have, uh, she does bring into the world what she intends to bring. And that is a tremendous poetic gift and wisdom. This gift is carried by Taliesin. The servant boy, Gawain, is the one who is transformed. But she brings something really beautiful into the world, something that was definitely worth all of that effort. And I wonder if we fritter away our energies by not discriminating, not carefully selecting our seeds. I wonder if this is part of that perpetual busyness if by throwing our seeds around carelessly without carefully selecting the ones we truly want to see sprout, if we diminish our ability to concentrate and focus and carefully tend those projects, especially those creative projects, those life-sustaining projects that are truly needed by us and by the world. I want to close this program with a poem by Mary Oliver that I feel speaks to all of these themes. It's called Sleeping in the Forest. I thought the earth remembered me. She took me back so tenderly, arranging her dark skirts, her pockets full of lichens and seeds. I slept as never before, a stone on the riverbed, nothing between me and the white fire of the stars, but my thoughts, and they floated light as moths among the branches of the perfect trees. All night I heard the small kingdoms breathing around me, the insects and the birds who do their work in the darkness. All night I rose and fell, as if in water, grappling with the luminous doom. By morning I had vanished at least a dozen times, into something better. And that's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. And feel free to share this, share Myth in the Mojave with other people who might be interested in it. I'd like to express my gratitude to the members of the Myth in the Mojave community on Bandcamp for their valuable financial support of this program is essential to me continuing to be here with you every couple of weeks. And if you're finding value in Myth in the Mojave, maybe you'll consider joining that Myth in the Mojave community on Bandcamp too. It's only $5 a month and you get unlimited access to all of the old programs. I've got well over 100 now, I think, as well as everything new unlimited downloads and streaming. And you'll be part then of making sure that this program continues. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time. And until then, happy myth-making and keep the mystery 
in your life alive.